Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. You'd think that if there was one kind of ideal or way to do things that, you know, over time evolution would have narrowed everything down, we'd all be doing the same thing, right? But no, that's not what we see. We're seeing huge amounts of variation in the way animals look, the way they behave, and and the sort of relatedness between those two things. And that's the big, big question that I'm interested in. And mating systems are a really important part of that because mating behavior and the chance to reproduce and have offspring is driving you know huge amounts of this variation that you see Kia ora, no mai haramai kiteau huruhanga. Hello and welcome to our changing world Kuklek and Kanantene. That's the voice of Dr. Chrissy Painting, a behavioural ecologist at the University of Waikato who studies diversity in animal mating systems. You know, these are the kinds of questions that keep me awake at night and, and make me want to do my job. Um, and it's really just kind of figuring out another part of this puzzle of, of life on Earth and, and trying to understand, you know, another little bit of why this particular group of spiders look and, and behave the way they do. That's right. Today, we're going to dive into the weird and sometimes extremely violent world of spider sex. I don't know if there should be a content warning for weird and violent spider sex. I guess if you have a strong sense of empathy for male spiders, well, then maybe you want to skip this one. Because I gotta tell you, it sometimes doesn't work out well for them. Um, I definitely feel sorry for them. It's, um, I remember a, um, someone, someone said to me at a conference, if reincarnation is a thing, don't come back as a male spider. It definitely isn't worth it. That's Simon Connolly, a PhD student in Chrissy's lab, who's spent a lot of long nights out looking for spiders. I meet Simon and Chrissy in a suburb of Kirikiriroa, Hamilton, at about quarter to ten at night, just as the last light is fading from the sky, to go hunting for nursery web spiders. As it's getting dark, the spiders will be coming out of their sort of little hideaways during the day, looking for some uh, food on an evening, so let's go and find some. Head torches on, we head down a short path to Hammond Park, a small grassy area sprinkled with trees alongside the Waikato River. I kind of presumed that we would be a while looking before we could spot a spider. I mean, it's dark. I can just about see the outline of trees and bushes, and they're quite small and dark-coloured. But actually, with the help of Chrissy's powerful head torch, it turns out to be pretty easy. If you look across to that bank of Tradescantia weed... There's little diamond shine all through, which is either raindrops, (laughs) but given how dry it is, I think it might be some spider eyes. Yeah, it was a beautiful sunny day. So you think all of that light that's reflecting are probably spider eyes? I'd say so, yeah. Wow. Yep, they really seem to love that particular weed type and 
It's um, often covered with lots of little herbivore insects, you know, that make good, good prey for them. So I reckon that might be worth a wee squiz. If you haven't come across it, Tradescantia, originally from South America, is a low-growing, long-lived perennial plant with shiny dark green leaves. Its trailing stems can produce roots at their joints where they touch soil, which makes it very good at spreading and taking over areas. So an invasive pest plant. But when Chrissy shines her torch on it, this little bank of Tradescantia is lighting up with spider-eye fairy lights. Yeah, I think it's a good environment because it's full of prey, but also it's got lots of like potential for them to uh, move around and jump away when big scary things come and attack them, like us. Nursery web spiders are a strange thing because they're one of the few creatures that humans invading New Zealand seems to have been the best thing that ever happened to them because they really love invasive plants and weeds, unlike a lot of other stuff. And once we get close to the bank of weed, turns out spotting these spiders is actually quite easy. So there's one down there, just oh, mounted on the it. end. That's probably some kind of juvenile, maybe a penultimate male based on his size. Sitting on that twig mm-hmm. up there, there's a lot, much larger, slightly fatter one. Yep. That's a probably a female, possibly a mature female. She is she's small for a mature. Oh, I love this one on the fern. Yeah, and I was just, just getting to that one. There's one sitting on a fern right there, which is a very kind of long, thin body type. It's quite likely a, um, a mature or penultimate male. When you say penultimate male, what does that mean? Right, so um, spiders have an exoskeleton. They have a, like a hard shell around them. And in order to grow, they need to shed that exoskeleton so that they can increase in size and then... Um, reharden their skeleton it's like uh, like a crab molt out of its shell so penultimate means that they are one molt away from uh, being uh, adults when they're penultimate they start to look like either males or females when they're juvenile you can't really tell you can kind of take a guess as to their size because the females end up a lot bigger than the uh, males when they're fully mature but when they're penultimate you can tell that they're um, either male or female and is that the only difference is the size that you're looking at? Or is there anything about how they look that's different between male and female? Uh, it might be best if I grab a male or a female and we'll see if we can see if I can show you. To study mating systems, it's important that Simon is able to distinguish between all these phases. Juvenile, penultimate and mature male and female. So if you look on the front of the spider there, so most people think of spiders as having eight legs, which is true. So they have eight legs, but they actually have ten limbs, which is these little limbs on the front called pedipalps, which on the females and on the juveniles look just kind of like an extra little pair of legs. On the male, they look more like they're more kind of uh, big and bulbous, like he's carrying little boxing gloves around with him. And that's the uh, male genitalia. That's what they use to uh, mate with the female. They kind of have their genitals in their hands, which is very strange, but not if you're a spider, apparently. And the way they um, pick up the sperm is super cool. So the male actually ejaculates the sperm out into like a little sperm web and then he picks the sperm up with his pedipalps. So loads them essentially so that they're ready so that when he inserts it into the female he's ready to be able to um, ejaculate into her, into her genital opening. Actually, it seems a bit rude that we've gone straight to the genital chat here without a proper introduction to the spiders we're looking at. So I'll let Simon introduce you to Dolomedes minor, commonly referred to as the nursery web spider. Yeah, a couple of centimetres long in the body, and they've got sort of a brownish pattern to them with some 
dark and light stripes going down the side and a quite distinctive centre stripe going down the middle of their body. Got this very kind of like streamlined look to them as though they could dart forward at any moment, which they do a lot because they're very, very fast moving little spiders. It's very cool. And where can you find nursery web spiders? So, the thing is with nursery web spiders is that if you know what to look for, you can find them in a, in a lot of places. They're a little bit selective of where they like to be. They might not be everywhere, but where they are, they're in, they tend to be in big numbers. They like um, uh, shrubland, parkland sometimes pasture but anywhere with like bushes or weeds or gorse or that kind of thing and what are they feeding on anything they can get their jaws around basically they like anything that's small enough for them to eat and isn't dangerous to them i've seen them eat crickets beetles very small wetter slugs anything that isn't dangerous to them they'll have a go at and as well as their shining eyes in the dark there's another way to figure out if these spiders are about the reason they got their name. If you, you're ever driving around and you see on the sides of the road or just even just wandering through the bush and you see these like big balls of webbing on the ends of foliage, those are their nursery reps. The females will make those for their little spiderlings to mature in. So they essentially build a little nursery? Yes, they build a little house for their um, little spiderlings to grow up in and then when the spiderlings are um, just a little bit bigger, just ma- just mature enough to fend themselves, they'll climb out the top and they'll throw a bit of thread into the air and um, float off to a new location. Balloon yeah. away is what I, how I read it. Yes, yes, it's called, called ballooning. So when you see lots of uh, strands of silk on the air in kind of late spring all the way through summer, that's um, spiders floating on the breeze or bits of spider silk floating on the breeze. But yeah, the females will actually stand by and guard these um, nursery reps, defend them with their life, as it were. I've quite often seen large numbers of these nursery webs myself, not knowing what they were. But this Dolomites minor spider isn't the only one who makes them. In Aotearoa, New Zealand, there are four species of Dolomites spider, and all four of these don't make regular, I'm going to catch a prey in the middle of this web, and instead only make nursery webs. So yes, it's confusing The Dolomites Minor has been given the common name nursery web spider because actually they are all nursery web building spiders. But anyway, let's meet its cousins because they are some cool as spiders with some cool as tricks and Simon and Chrissy want to get to know them all. First up, the two fishing spiders, Dolomites Dandeli and Dolomites aquaticus. I did some rough maths at the beginning of my um, research And I think if one of them was the size of a human being, it could run at 200 kilometers an hour from a standing start. Whoa. Yeah, that's good for um, these ones hunting on shrubs, but it's really, really good for the one for the um, Dondaly and the Aquaticus that hunt on the water. Because a little fly or a moth or something will just drop down onto the surface of the water, send out a ripple to the spider that's waiting on the bank. It senses that with its front legs that it's just kind of got dipped into the water and then it just runs out across the surface of the water and we'll grab it. In snack time. Exactly. <laughs> I just think that's so cool. So they, instead of using a web, they're essentially using the surface tension of the water. Exactly. In exactly the same way, they just wait for something to move onto it and then they sense the vibrations in the same way that a spider with a web would and then they go and grab it all the same. How neat is that? With hydrophobic hairs and weighing less than a gram, these spiders can walk on water. And they can also dive down underwater to avoid predators trapping a little bubble of air. Don Daly can be found all over the country, well, close to rivers. 
They prefer ones that are covered and forested so they can sit in tree hollows during the day. This has led them to being dubbed the shady fishing spider. Aquaticus live on New Zealand's braided rivers, so lower North Island and most of the South Island. They live under gaps in rocks and come out at night to sit at the side of the river. These spiders are about 7 centimetres across, including the legs. Both have yellow stripes down either side of the head region, but then the Aquaticus is more a grey-brown, well, stone-coloured, and the Dondaly is more a lighter brown mottled pattern. And then there's number four. So the fourth species of Dolomedes in New Zealand is actually not found on the mainland at all. It's it's a Chatham Island species, but it's now restricted to not even main Chatham Island anymore, but only some of the offshore biosecurity protected islands, so pest predator free islands. So its common name is the Rangatera spider, so it's um, found indeed on, on Rangatera Island, um, on Mangani, and then a couple of sort of rock stack islands. And tell me what's distinctive about this spider. <laughs> um, it's huge, <laughs> so it's incredibly heavy and plump. So Unlike the Aquaticus and Dondaly, it's not found. Well, it's, it's, it's sort of found all through the forest systems over there um, and doesn't seem to be strongly associated with water at all. So you find them on the big trees that are um, in some of the sort of remnant forest areas on, on these offshore islands. Also tend to be associated with all the sort of seabird colonies around there too. And they're huge. So some of the females that I've weighed are, are over five grams um, heavy, which I think is about the weight of a rifleman, um, and that the males aren't far behind them. So they're truly enormous spiders, and uh, people, are, you know, are quite fearsome of them um, on the Chatham Islands. Yeah, like a spider that weighs the same as a bird. I mean, a small bird, but still a bird. It's a bird nonetheless. That's right. Yeah, they're they're pretty huge. I mean, they take up most of your palm when you're holding them, and. Yeah, they, you can really feel the weight in them when you're holding on to them. It's impressive. And what are they eating? So they're predators as well. Um, so I've seen them out at night hunting, eating a lot of the wetter that are over um, the ground wetter that are on the Chatham Islands. Um, yeah, probably some of the other spiders. Um, but yeah, the wetter seem to be their favourite prey. And they're just, because these wetter are just in enormous numbers, the ground is teeming, actually te- teeming with them on Rangatera Island. So they don't tend to fish, but they do build large nursery webs for their eggs to hatch into spiderlings. From what some of the fishermen down at the pub um, on Chatham have told me, you can see their nursery webs from the, from the boats, you know, as they're passing by, especially where some of these mutton bird colonies are, you can actually see the, uh, the, the nursery webs on the tops of these big tall flax bushes that are um, on the edges of these islands. So they're impressive. So now that we've got to know the crew... What kind of things are Simon and Chrissy trying to figure out? Well, first, Simon has been doing a lot of surveying. He'll come to a site like this one in Kirikiriroa and count all the spiders that he sees and also categorise them into juvenile, penultimate, male and female. The theory is if I do that for as long as I have been, then I get an idea of how the numbers of adults and juveniles and penultimates and males and females, how all that kind of changes and shapes up throughout the years. But the main part of his work is focused on mating behaviour. I would come out to places uh, like this and gather up um, juveniles and uh, penultimates, anything that's like nearly adult but not um, fully adult yet. And then I'd take them back to the lab and um, rear up a big, big population of spiders. I've had upwards of 200 in the lab at um, certain points. Rear them up to adulthood. And then what I have is a bunch of adult spiders that I know 
haven't mated before. Okay, so you have your virgin spiders. Mm -hmm. Talk me through what happens next. Well, what happens next is the... Um, it's a high, highly scientific process, which involves uh, putting a female spider in a um, uh, one of the kind of large rectangular systema containers. Uh, again, a highly, piece, highly scientific piece of equipment. And I kind of rig those up so that she can um, crawl up and down the walls and on the ceiling and kind of sit wherever she wants to be. I leave the female in there for a while so she can kind of get used to it so she's not kind of on edge from me handling her or picking her up and putting her down. Um, but also so that she can leave her uh, silk and pheromones and, and stuff that the male would pick up on to um, trigger his mating. So she can leave all of that kind of chemical information around the arena. And then I introduce the male and then I record them for between five seconds up to several hours, depending on how long they take. And then I um, take that footage away and analyze it for lots of different things, how aggressive the female is, how long the male takes to mate with her, how long the actual copulations with the female are, which can range from like less than half of a second up until like 20 or 30 seconds, depending on the species. So you're uh, videotaping them? Yes, yes. Um, Across all of my experiments, across both species, I ended up with about 1,100 hours of um, footage of mostly spiders not mating, but some of it had spiders mating in there. <laughs> but you're, you've got the video camera on them until some kind of conclusion happens, and either that's mating or sometimes death? Exactly, yes. I'm trying to capture as much information about those different exchanges as I can, whichever way they go. With over 1,100 hours of footage, Simon has seen some things. A five-second encounter was the shortest interaction he videoed, and one where it did not end well for the male. He was perhaps a little bit startled by me um, grabbing him out of his container. I put him in a, um, an arena with a female, and he ran directly at full speed right into the jaws of the female at the opposite side of the arena. I think you can hear me on the um, recording laughing at that for about a full 30 seconds. Just what an idiot. I also had a very similar one. This was um, even a couple of months after I started where the two spiders just kind of sat right on opposite sides of the arena doing nothing for nearly four hours. I kind of just ran the experiment as a formality. And then I went to like just lift the lid off the container and the male again got startled ran right across to the other side of the arena directly into the um, female's jaws just after i turned the camera off of course i've got some very cool kind of slow motion footage of female miner being upside down on the top of the arena and the male will reach up copulate with her you can see his entire body tense as his um, kind of internal pressure pushes the sperm into the female and then in less than a second, he can withdraw that palp and then backflip away from her if through midair as the female flips around to try and grab him. I've also have footage of females take males in midair during that kind of process where he will drop, but he won't drop quite fast enough and she'll just be on top of him. That swishing sound, Simon's high vids jacket, because yes, there were hand gestures to accompany that. So I guess the obvious, important question is, why is Simon recording spider sex? Well, I mean, why not? That's the real question. People ask me that a lot, and I, I have a, very, a lot of different answers to that. But one of, one of the main reasons is that we just don't, didn't know anything about these spiders up until now. Uh, we know generally that um, 
female spiders um, in some species like to uh, sexually cannibalize, that's eat the male, sometimes um, either during or after mating. We know that some male spiders in some species are what we call monogynous. They will um, only be able to mate with one female in their lifetime, sometimes because they get eaten, other times because they actually have uh, breakable genitalia, which they will leave inside the female. And that's to kind of ensure that she won't mate with anyone else down the line. So spiders have these, this array of strange and interesting behaviours that we didn't really know anything about in these guys up until I started looking at them. So, so dish the dirt then, Simon. What were the array of behaviours that you've actually seen? Well, it's the, the fascinating thing is, is that... So I looked at two species. I looked at um, Dolomedes minor, these nocerep spiders, and Dolomedes aquaticus, one of the fishing spiders. And they're the two most closely related spiders we have in this group, so they're, they're sister species. In fact, they're so closely related that they can interbreed in some places. But the thing is, is that despite that close relationship, they're completely different to each other in terms of their behavior. So Aquaticus females are docile, placid little creatures that will just allow the male to wander up to them, copulate within a few, second, or a few minutes, and then let the male wander off and get on with his life. And then after that, the, the females become a little less placid. They seem, seem to get this kind of syndrome of aggression after they've been mated with once. Whereas minor, the um, nurse rib spiders, they're a complete wild card. The males in these species in, in minor take upwards of two or three hours to even um, begin copulating with a female or even begin thinking about it. And sometimes they'll kind of reach with that pedipalp and get close to mating, and then think, ooh, ooh, nope, 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 I'm not going to do it, it's a bit dangerous. And the reason they're doing that is because female minor are highly unpredictable from the male's point of view. They can attack before the mating, during the copulation while the male is mid-act, or indeed after the mating when the male's trying to escape. This strikes right to the heart of those big questions that keep Chrissy painting awake at night. How can two such closely related spiders have such different mating behaviours? I guess classic sexual selection theory tells us that in general, and and there's a few different reasons for this, but often it comes down to um, the different investments that males and females make into their their gametes, their their sperm and egg cells, that males will mate typically lots of times throughout their, their lifetimes to maximise their reproductive success, whereas females tend to focus in on one or, or several high-quality partners um, to fertilise their eggs. Basically, sperm are cheap and easy to make. Eggs take a lot of energy. And so the most common, <laughs> debatable, but um, commonly you would assume that males would be mating with lots of different females, but we do, in fact, though, see the evolution multiple times across multiple different taxa so it's evolved independently um, through lots of different animal systems where we see monogyny evolve where males are only mating this one time and it is curious a because of this kind of classic sexual selection prediction that males should mate lots of times but also because it tends to be coupled with these really extreme different behaviors chrissy is saying monogyny here which is different to monogamy. Monogyny is a system where males mate just once. Monoandry is where females mate just once. And monogamy is where pair bonds are formed between mates so they only mate with each other. Then you can swap the mono for poly and go again for another round. 
Anyway, when you get monogyny evolving, this is when things can get super weird. Well, from our human point of view, anyway. Sexual cannibalism is kind of a, is a very obvious one where, for example, in redback spiders, males will mate with the female and then literally somersault their way into the jaws of the females. You know, they, they literally sacrifice themselves. Anglerfish are another one of my favourites where um, males literally fuse themselves into the um, whole blood circulation system of a female and parasitise themselves to the female for their entire lifetime. So um, they mate only with that female um, and and she literally feeds him through her nutrition system. Um, it's incredible. So there's lots of Wait, cool hold examples. on. She feeds him. So he's still alive. He's just fused to the side he's of her body. Literally fused to her for his lifetime. So wow, all that her is blood commitment. exchange. Yeah, incredible. Yep. And he's tiny and she's much, obviously much, much bigger. Um, and so there's, yeah, multiple evolutionary examples where this monogynous mating system have evolved, has evolved, but it's much less common than um, other types of mating systems. Again, the big questions. How does this happen? Why does monogyny evolve? Well, Chrissy reckons that the Dolomites spider group might help them figure this out. What's really neat is that within this Dolomites group, we know from some work that our colleagues have done over, overseas, we see one end of this really extreme um, continuum where, so this is a species called Dol- Dolomites tenebrosus, and the males are just a fraction of the size of females there I can't remember the exact ratio now but it's it's extreme um, size difference and he will mate with her and then his he leaves his genitalia attached and he literally stops living his heart stops beating whilst he's attached to the female so we call this spontaneous male death it's like a voluntary process that she ha- she will eventually eat him but his heart stops beating first and he dies so we've got this one end of the extreme here in the continuum but we also know that on the other end of the continuum there's our more classic scenario where um, males will will mate with lots of different females in their lifetime we also know that there's about a hundred or more species within the the genus that gives us a really powerful system to try and pull apart what kinds of elements or different parts of the mating system need to be present for monogyny to evolve. Um, So we can start to interrogate that once we do these kind of comparative analyses where we collect mating behaviour, morphology and population dynamic surveys like what um, Simon is doing for several of our New Zealand species. If we fill in the blanks for a whole bunch of different species across this genus, we'll be able to kind of figure out this puzzle of yeah, what kind of scenarios lead to, to monogyny. Will this research eventually be able to tell us some of the story of how monogyny came along, like the stepwise evolution, you know, one day... There was a group of spiders that all of a sudden there was more males around and so they suddenly had to work harder and do more outrageous things to, you know, become parents of spiders and then you know that was one generation and then the next generation the males were doing even more outrageous things until eventually we come to spontaneous death and sexual cannibalism. Is, Is that the kind of story that you're hoping to be able to tell? Yeah, I think that, I mean, that would be wonderful. I think we would need an enormous data set to be able to do that. And I think that what we realistically, what we'd only be able to say is that's 
what the case was for this group of spiders because it could very well have a totally different origin and totally different kind of evolutionary pathway in another group. The Dolomites are these free-roaming um, species that don't build webs and we kind of purposely picked them because because they don't build webs they're a little bit more relatable <laughs> to other animals. Um, web-building spiders, I mean even though they're kind of normal to us because we see them everywhere, Biologically, they're kind of weird. This is because with web-building spiders, the female is stationary and the male searches around. Monogyny has evolved in web-building spiders too, but it might be a different pathway, says Chrissy. What they want to do in this project is apply a network system or complex systems approach to figure out the story of evolution of monogyny in the Dolomites group. By feeding in all the information they collect on the spiders, they will try to figure out what are the things that you seem to need to evolve monogyny. Maybe a certain size difference between male or females, or more male spiders than female spiders around, or male spiders maturing earlier than females. So Simon has done some of the work collecting this info for the nursery web and shady fishing spiders. Studies into the braided rivers fishing spider and the rangatira spider will be next to try fill out the New Zealand set. This will then feed into a wider investigation involving Chrissy's collaborators in the United States and Europe. And hopefully help us understand just a little bit more about life on Earth. You know, all of us have in common this curiosity, right? And when we go out into the world and we see, we recognise that things look and behave differently. And we might not necessarily thought about that very carefully, but I think that it's inherently interesting to try and figure out what drives variation. And that's, that is the big question for me is, well, you know, this is a group of pretty closely related species that kind of look similar, but they're behaving really differently. And what on earth could be driving that Thanks to Dr. Chrissy Painting and PhD student Simon Connolly from the Invertebrate Behavioural Ecology Lab at the University of Waikato. This episode was produced by me, Claire Kincannon, with help from Liz Garten and Ellen Rikers. Sound engineering was by William Saunders. And Tim Watkin is the executive producer of podcasts and series at RNZ. Visit our website at rnz.co.nz slash Our Changing World. Across the years, Our Changing World has told many insect and spider stories, and we've compiled a list of them there. We'll also share these on Twitter and Facebook, where we are at RNZ Science. Thanks for listening. I'm Claire Kincannon. Have a great week. Kia pai, bo wiki. I have only just noticed that you're wearing a Spider-Man t-shirt. I am wearing a Spider-Man t-shirt. Yes, team colours. I actually have no... After all these years, I'm not quite sure how many t-shirts you have or if it's the same t-shirt. I haven't quite... I have a few. Um, There's some different colours, so I'm I'm not as alarmed as I could be, but... (laughs) But you're wearing a Critters Critters of the Week t-shirt. Of course. Does it have the spider? No, it has cat. No, it doesn't have the spider, but... Yeah, it also doesn't have yeah. giraffe. That's, that's the thing about um, being an arachnologist. People will just buy you random Spider-Man paraphernalia. I'm 27 years old and my parents were walking, I think they were walking through airport duty-free or something, and they saw for sale a Spider-Man action figure and went, there's a Christmas present for Simon, that's done. So that's now... <laughs> just li- like I do for my five-year-old. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly like that. Um, so he's now living on the uh, windowsill in my flat, kind of guarding the place. <laughs> 
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. 